Hey, uh, good morning, church. Uh, happy Father's Day. Uh, welcome, Christ City Church. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning as we gather uh, together to remember God's promises to his children, promises of, of joy, of, of liberation, promises of new life and of new beginnings. I pray that this weekend that it has been one or is being one of joy and celebration for you. Uh, this past week, um, in this past weekend especially, they've given us a lot of opportunities to celebrate just a great number of things. Um, first, across the nation, there was recognition and celebration of Juneteenth. On June 19th, 1865, Union soldiers informed the residents of Galveston, Texas, that President Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing enslaved people in the southern states. Juneteenth is the celebration of the arrival of that news and the liberation from slavery that came with it. This was months after the ending of the Civil War, but it was two years after Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation itself. And the work of justice for African Americans, it, it, it continues. And justice remains elusive. It, it, it remains denied in so many ways. Economic justice, education justice, criminal justice, and others. Now, 156 years after the first Juneteenth. As Pastor Rich Velotis wrote in his article for Missio Alliance recently, when U.S. slavery ended, Jim Crow took the baton. When Jim Crow had ran its leg, redlining had its day. When redlining grew weary, mass incarceration sprinted forward. Nevertheless, joy and celebration, they are powerful forces of resistance and justice-seeking in the face of ongoing oppression and the denial of dignity. And I hope that as you and your families and neighbors walk through this weekend that you celebrate it in, in some way, that you celebrated freedom gained and you also celebrated freedom that is anticipated and still on the horizon celebrating the liberation that has occurred and anticipating the justice that is, that is still up ahead and that will be secured by the hand of God and the work of those that pray and work and protest and advocate for the day when justice fully and finally rolls down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The other thing, the other event that happened um, leading into this weekend um, that, that is incredibly important uh, for our city, and it's specifically important for, for our neighborhood and for the cluster of neighborhoods that surround Christ City Church, it was the election of a new ANC commissioner. For those of you outside the district, let me tell you what's up. Uh, in Washington, D.C., we have an ANC, which is a neighborhood body made up of locally elected representatives. ANC stands for Advisory Neighborhood Commissioners, and they are a unique feature of the District of Columbia. This week, uh, the city elected a commissioner for uh, ANC-7F, an ANC seat that's been vacant since the formation of that ANC and that encompasses the area around the D.C. jail and parts of Reservation 13, the area that we as a church have been organizing around for affordable housing. This week, ANC-7F elected for their first ANC commissioner and the first ever incarcerated commissioner in the history of the city. The election took place in the D.C. jail as it is currently, essentially, the only housing in this ANC. The push for an election within the jail it was marshaled by a number of neighbors uh, in our community, most notably Neighbors for Justice, which has been working tirelessly to see 
our incarcerated neighbors be viewed and treated with dignity and with, and with humanity. Joel Caston was elected as a new commissioner. Commissioner Caston, he's, he's, uh, he's got a tragic and, and, and beautifully redemptive story. When he was younger, he made some deadly mistakes when he was a teenager. And he has served the majority of his life amending for them. And in that time, over the course of his 26 years under incarceration, he's grown and changed and worked to better himself. He, uh, he's been a worship leader in his faith community there. He's learned two languages. He's now fluent in Cantonese and Arabic. He studied economics, including enrolling in a program through Georgetown University. And the thing is, the heart of Commissioner Castan is just to see his community cared for. His is also a story of freedom. It's, it's one that we should celebrate, even as we pray for him and his new role in the life of our neighborhood. Now, the third thing, uh, and the last thing that I'll mention before, I, uh, before turning my attention to Galatians 6, the, the third thing that I want to say um, is uh, this weekend uh, is we're celebrating our fathers. Yo, happy, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads, all the dads in the room, all the dads out there. Um, happy Father's Day. Look, I want to speak to you for a quick minute, all right? First and foremost, I want to say that I appreciate so many things about your dads, about just, I mean, the list is long, but at the top of the list is your jokes. Dads, yo, I love it when you say things like, I'm so good at sleeping, man, I can do it with my eyes closed. When, when I was a kid, I, I hated facial hair, but it grew on me. <laughs> and dads, yo. I want you to know it takes guts to be an organ donor. <laughs> but seriously, dads, I am one of you, and I'm proud of you. Uh, and today, look, your family, they might take you to lunch or, like, grill you a burger or something, or they might just call you and check in on you and greet you. And, and whatever it is and however it is they show that, uh, you know, enjoy it. You've earned it. Fatherhood isn't easy, but you're up for it, despite what you think about yourself sometimes. And fathers, what I want you to know is that your family needs you, your community needs you, and your neighborhood needs you. The presence of fathers in a family, it decreases the likelihood of poverty and increases graduation rates. Research indicates that the increased presence of dads in a neighborhood has an economic uplift on the lives of other children in that neighborhood collectively. The presence of dads in the lives of other children as, as mentors or just a positive adult role models, it contributes to the increase in developmental assets in the lives of those young people. And these stats, they, they hold across race and class. Because dads matter. Today, uh, dads, as you celebrated, I hope that you take some time to reflect on the ways in which you are called to parent as a father. The unique ways that dads get to reflect God's love and encompass God's, they display God's love and compassion to the children in your home and in the young people in your community. I pray that you continue to shed some of the broken and toxic forms of fatherhood that can hurt and that have hurt. And I pray that you experience the healing presence of God in the places where your own father may have hurt you. I pray that you're gracious, gracious with yourselves. And the ways that we miss the mark sometimes as dads. I pray that you hear from your Heavenly Father the thing that speaks to the hearts of so many dads. As you hear the whisper 
of the Spirit saying to you, I love you and I'm proud of you. So dads, yo, y'all touched me. Happy Father's Day. I'm thinking about you all. Listen, friends, um, this morning uh, we're going to continue in our sermon um, entitled uh, Be Free, which is an exploration of uh, the New Testament book of Galatians. Now, this book is, is really um, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while in prison to a church in modern-day Turkey. And the focus of his letter was to remind the church there that Christ has, that Christ has set them free. The, the, the anchor passage for this series, it comes from Galatians 5 and, and captures the ethos of, of so much of the letter that Paul is writing, wherein he writes in Galatians 5 in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The thing is, the Galatians had become shackled by a false gospel that said that in order to be saved, in order to be embraced by God, one had to uh, behave in a certain way. They had to follow certain rituals and certain rites. And Paul was reminding them that salvation came by way of faith alone and Christ alone, and, and that all of our efforts at joining God's work in the world, they flowed from this place of faith and from the unconditional embrace of God that was secured by faith in Jesus. This is what Paul is continuing to argue throughout Galatians. Last week, we noted uh, and noticed that Paul's letter in the back half of chapter 5, it begins to take a pragmatic approach. Whereas in the initial chapters, they were more theological and theoretical, the final chapters become far more practical and applicable. And we're going to continue to see that played out uh, in chapter 6. The, um, the chapter opens uh, in verse 1 with Paul instructing the church to bear one another's burdens. It begins in chapter, one, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or else you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, Paul is playing with a play on words there. He's saying, oh, you all like to be law followers. Well, here's the law I want you to follow. Follow Christ's law. And the way you do it is you bear one another's burdens. Okay, over the last couple of years, here's the thing. Uh, my sons have invited me into a hobby of theirs. Their hobby is video gaming. Now, the thing is, for me, I didn't grow up playing video games. And initially, uh, most of it was just a way for me to, like, enter into my kids' world and discover what they enjoyed and what they were passionate about. But full confession, I like them. I like to play. Uh, and I do have to say, though, I'm just terrible at them. Like, I'm bad, bad. But over the last couple of years, the boys, you know, they kind of taught me how to play. The games that we play online, the, the games that we play, we play them online. And you get to play with others as well. And so some of you that are watching this stream, you know, you know who you are. I've played with some other dads at Christ City as well, but I'm not going to out you right here on the sermon. But, you know, I'll see you online later. But and when you're playing, you're, like, able to see, like, your teammates' names, uh, but you don't, you know, you don't share real, real names online, kids. Don't share your real name online. So you have a pseudonym or you have a, a, a gamer tag. My gamer tag is Watsonopolis. You can find me there. Now, I play with my sons, Nate the Cutie and Notorious Elims. I've also played with others. Blizzy Land, Wild Winds 27, Rowdy Nate, Drifted Statue 42, Space Uber, and then my personal favorite, 13 Black Roses. Some of you have no idea what I just said, but those of you that do... I'll see you online later. The games that we most often play 
are games where you play in teams of four. Now, when I play, I'm often like the weakest link in the game. I end up dying first. I end up dying most often. And during the course of the game, whether it's like Fortnite or Call of Duty, your teammates, they can revive you. They can heal you when you get shot down. They can work to bring you back to life if you get finished off. And when that happens, which is a lot for me, at the end of the games, your teammates, they'll kind of roast you about it. And they will say, man, I had to carry you meaning you didn't quite pull your own weight and they had to pull some of it for you so you were carried and if you want to win the thing is if you really want to win the game the best way to win is to carry each other's burdens whether you're dropping into Fortnite Island or Call of Duty's Verdansk or trying to live life as God intended the way to victory is to carry each other's burdens one time uh, I was playing with uh, Nate the cutie Uh, And it was just the two of us. So in order to make a four-person team, we had to have random teammates that were randomly placed onto our team by the game. And during the course of the game, Nathan called me dad instead of Watsonopolis by my gamer tag. And our teammates had picked up on it. And so they're like, oh, you guys, you know, father-son duo here playing the game. And so we start talking to each other. Now, I should tell you, you play with a headset and a microphone so you can talk to your teammates. As we're playing, one of the teammates says to us, hey, I just became a dad. I think it's cool that you and your son play together. I hope I'm able to play with my son as he grows up or play whatever he likes to play. And then the other teammate, chimes in. By the sound of his voice, we can tell that he's, you know, he's younger. Younger than Nathan even. And he says, I wish my dad played with me. And you could you kind of hear like this ache in his voice, this, this longing a longing to have, you know, somebody, well, somebody bear his burdens with him. Week before last, I was playing with Elias, notorious Elims. And our teammate, he was really young in this game. I think he was like six or seven, I don't know. And in that game, the character I was playing with was a fox. Because I think foxes are cool. And Elias was a Christmas tree. And our young teammate was a panda bear. And while we're running around, we're like shooting laser beams and flying UFOs, we're chopping down trees, and we can hear over Panda Bear's microphone, adults are arguing in the background, and it's loud and it's terrible. And the things that they're saying are the worst things that you can say to somebody, and they're using the worst names you can use and wishing the worst kinds of outcomes that you can wish on a human. And at some point as I'm hearing this, I, I, I just, I couldn't stand it. And, and I let out a groan and I, just in my mic, and I, I just, like unconsciously, I just said, oof. And the kid hears me. And we can tell that he gets really close to his mic. And I imagine he's cupping his hands, uh, 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 you know, around it because the mic sounds different. And then he says, those are my parents. They argue and cuss sometimes. I say, hey, buddy, I'm sorry. But we're glad you're here with us. We're going to get this win for you right here. This is a safe place for us now. And we're with you. And he says, thanks, Fox. Because my character is a fox. And I think foxes are cool. And last night, we carried that young man's burdens, if only for a moment, letting him know that he is seen and that he's heard and trying in a way to represent a God who sees and hears even in moments of chaos and pain where your only comfort is in the community of gamers. 
Paul beckons us to bear one another's burdens, but he, but he calls us to do so with humility and with gentleness. In verses three and four, he says, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Paul's just saying, you ain't nothing. Each one should test their own actions. You see, the thing is, the Galatian church was already battling a haughty spirit. They were believing themselves to be of higher esteem than others because of their perceived fidelity to the Old Testament law. And Paul, he's checking that. And he's calling them to care for one another rather than judging one another, to to bear one another's burdens humbly and gently. And the reason for this, the reason he's calling them to be humble and to be gentle with one another and to care for one another is because of Christ. This twofold reason is because of Christ and because of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ bore our burdens on the cross and he did so in humility and gentleness. And so we too are now called to bear the burdens of others in that same manner. And because the Spirit guides us and leads us and cares for us, not with condemnation or scold or disgust or rebuke, but with humility and gentleness, we too are invited to be burden bearers in a manner in keeping with the Spirit of God and with Christ. And these ought to be our marks as those following Jesus. And yet the the truth is, the, the, the fact is that humbleness and gentleness, those are not the spirits of our age. Rage travels fastest in today's world. Social media posts about outrage, they gain the greatest attention. A spark from a fire can destroy a forest faster than a blown dandelion can carpet the floor with flowers or pine cones can regrow evergreens. It seems like rage has the better hand over humility, but the thing is that when rage subsides, shame takes place and takes root. John Ronson's book, called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It deals with the phenomenon of public rage and the resurgence of public shaming that's been inaugurated through social media. One story that he explores is that of Justin Sacco, a PR manager whose inappropriate uh, tweet about AIDS in Africa that she posted to her 167 Twitter followers was picked up by a journalist with Gawker who retweeted it to his 15,000 followers and a massive wave of Twitter-induced rage and public shaming ensued. Justine lost her job, and her family received death threats as the Twitter sphere erupted with judgment. Reflecting on this and other instances of social media public shaming, Ronson notes in his book, for the past three years I've been going around meeting people like Justine Sacco, and there's a lot of people like her. And we want to believe that they're doing fine, but they're not fine. The people that I met are mangled. They talk to me about anxiety and depression and insomnia and suicidal thoughts. Sako was fired, but worse than that, she was losing herself. She was waking up in the middle of the night, forgetting who she was. Certainly an extreme form, it is a form nonetheless of what the oppressive weight of shame can do to a soul, of what it can look like if burdens are not shared by those wronged and those doing the wronging. But having said that, there's, a, there's another um, important thing to note. There is a difference between bearing someone's burdens and bearing someone's baggage. And I believe this is part of the needle that Paul is attempting to thread in verses 4 and 5. Where in verse 4, he says in Galatians uh, 6, 4, each one should test their own actions. And then in verse 5, he says, for each one should carry their own load. 
You see, the thing is, in, in bearing burdens and testing our actions, we must be aware of self-deception. Self-deception that happens in the acts of caring for others and bearing burdens. Self-deception and the unexamined motives behind actions, they can actually needlessly shift burdens onto others and onto the ones we might be called to bear burdens with. This call, by the way, to self-examination, it's not new for Paul. In other places, he exhorts the church to this kind of introspection for the sake of one's own soul and for the care of others. For example, in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're living in the faith. Test yourselves. Paul is calling us to examine our own lives and neither take credit for the lives of others nor push aside our responsibility of putting our own work in and testing our own motivations by the Spirit's leading and by the Spirit's interrogation. The task of carrying one's own load, it includes taking responsibility for one's own freight or one's own baggage, if you will. In other words, each of us, empowered by the Spirit, are charged with working on our own specific baggage in ways that lead us to greater freedom, greater joy, and boasting in what God has done, not what we have done. Only then can we meaningfully share in carrying the burdens of others in a way that is truly helpful. One example. Let's speak to my white brothers and sisters for a minute. For white folks to meaningfully engage in the struggle for racial justice and equity in America, what Paul might suggest requires that we interrogate our actions and our motives. Working on things such as internalized racism, and personal complicities with unjust societal structures. It's not up to persons of color within a congregation or a group to deal with the white member's baggage in this, in this sense, given that such baggage can often find its origins in self-deception and willful blindness. In other words, to be a helpful ally in the work of racial justice, or more than an ally, to be a faithful brother and sister in the Lord requires that one carry their own load. Paul is capturing this balance between solidarity and carrying the burdens of others and the responsibility for one's own baggage. And having said that, don't let the pursuit of perfection keep you from caring for others. Don't let your imperfect attempts stifle you from the joy of burden bearing that God is inviting all of us to participate in. Don't fear failure and shame that failure can sometimes produce. Don't let that hold you off from walking with others in a meaningful way, even if it's an imperfect way. God can use that too. When, when Elias and I were playing Fortnite, Fortnite video game with six-year-old Panda Bear, I was continually getting shot down, constantly. Like, I was terrible. And Panda would come over and he'd pick me up. carry me to safety he like run around and find bandages and healing potions and he would say I got you Fox I'll take care of you all the while his parents are arguing in the background and I say thanks Panda I got you too carrying our own loads and bearing each other's burdens who is burdened in your life and how might the Spirit be calling you to bear their burdens with them? That's the invitation of Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Let me pray for us.